Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or or naked and gave you clothing? And, And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? He will answer them saying, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. After hearing this morning's reading about sheep and goats, I think the best place to start is to simply admit that we are not the sheep. We might like to think that we are. Hopefully we're all working to become more sheep-like, but we're not the sheep. All of us have turned away from or ignored the hungry person begging for food. We've walked or driven by the homeless person without even making eye contact. We live in warm homes, knowing that not far away people are sleeping outside. We've said and done nothing as people go bankrupt to receive medical care if they can afford it at all. Few of us have ever even been inside a prison, much less chosen to go there to visit somebody out of love. Living where we do means that most of us never have to see the poor, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, and those in prison. And so if we interpret this story about the sheep and the goats 
in the way that most people do. If we consider this a guide for who's going to heaven and who isn't, then we have to admit that we do not measure up. We just don't. By the time we get to the end of this passage, it's obvious there's only one sheep. That's Jesus. And that's part of what makes Jesus so compelling. Even thousands of years after he walked this earth, Jesus actually lived according to the words that he spoke here. When he encountered hungry people, he fed them all the time. Thousands of people on the hillside, and Jesus has stuff to do, but he stops to feed the hungry masses. He couldn't keep going. He met those who were considered the ultimate strangers, despised as outsiders and traitors, people like tax collectors, Samaritans, and Gentiles, and he welcomed them. He invited the tax collector to come and follow him. He offered the Samaritan woman living water. He healed Gentiles with joy. He couldn't ignore them. He found lepers who were ostracized and feared because of the sickness and contamination they carried, who were forced to live in squalor, away from society, away from loved ones. And when they yelled for help, he healed them. He couldn't just walk by. He met a man once who was literally naked, who had been chained, was living in a cemetery, who had torn the clothes off of himself in pain and in madness, and Jesus stopped to make him whole. He couldn't turn away. And this morning, Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain to tell us why he lived this way. He said that when he looked at people, he didn't just see people, he saw God. In our reading, he says that when we feed hungry people, we're feeding God. When we welcome the stranger, we're welcoming him. When we clothe the naked, we're clothing God. When we care for the sick, we're caring for him. When we visit those in prison, somehow... We're visiting God. And don't worry if you're wondering what in the world is Jesus talking about. You're not alone. All the way back in the beginning of Genesis, back when God was doing crazy things like creating heavens and earth, when it came time to create humans, God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And that's exactly what happened Humanity was created in God's image, formed according to God's likeness. And ever since, we've been trying to figure out what it means to be made in the image of God. Some people have thought that God meant it literally. That humanity is made in God's image because somehow our physical shape and bodies are similar to God's. I don't know. I don't know what God looks like. I don't know if God has a body, but our physical bodies are sacred because we are somehow made in God's image and God's spirit lives within us. Other people have said that being made in God's image is about our intellectual and moral capacities. 
our ability to reason, to think critically, to be self-aware, to consider abstract concepts, to discern between right and wrong, good and evil, that these are attributes of God's character that are found only in humans. And it's in that sharing of God's character that means we're made in God's image. And that makes sense, though to be honest, as time passes, I realize more and more just how limited our intellectual and moral capacities truly are. Other people have believed that being made in God's image has nothing to do with our physical shape or our intellectual and moral capabilities, but is instead a deep spiritual truth. That when God breathed life into the first humans, God was passing on a spark of the divine nature to humanity. And so each of us carries around a piece of that spark. We each hold an an echo of God inside of us. We each bear the life of God within us, down in the very nature and fabric and the core of our beings, apart from our physical shape, apart from our abilities and capacities. Each and every person bears the image of God simply because we are. Every human being is made in the image of God. And that truth, that beautifully simple yet complex truth, which shapes how we see God, which changes the way we see one another, which transforms the way we live, it carries enough challenge for a lifetime, does it not? Because at the heart, at the heart of all the evil we do to one another, at the heart of all of it, is the denial of God's image in someone else. And at the heart of all the good that we do to one another is the recognition of God's image in someone else. I mean, just think about the way our world tends to talk about the poor, the hungry, the stranger, those in prison, all those people that Jesus mentions in our reading this morning. We hear that strangers of today, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers are evil, disease-ridden, terrorists, people to be feared and turned away. We've all heard the popular narrative that if someone is poor or hungry, it's primarily because they're lazy, unwilling to work hard, that they just want to take advantage of other people. We're taught that people become homeless because they make bad choices, because they're addicts, because of some moral defects. All of these people are in these situations because they deserve to be. It's their own fault. So why would we help them? Do you know what we're really doing as a society when we say these things? We're trying to justify, we're trying to make it okay for us to diminish or deny the image of God in other people. Because if we don't, then we're forced to admit that when we see refugees, when we see the poor, when we see the hungry and the homeless, we're actually seeing God. And we have to do something about it. 
If we don't find ways to excuse it, then we have to ask why our world creates so many poor, naked, homeless, and imprisoned people. If we don't find ways to just explain it away, then we have to do the hard work of creating systems that that don't favor the wealthy and powerful, but instead aim to care for and lift up the lowly, the, the lost, and the least among us. If we don't find some way to excuse it, to make it their fault and their problem, then like Jesus, we won't be able to ignore them or keep walking by, and then it will cost us something. This morning, Jesus tells us the truth. How we view others is a reflection of how we view God. How we treat others is how we treat God. How we love others, especially the last and the least, is how we love God. Every person is made in God's image, which means that that every person carries that spark or piece of God within them. Every person, including you, is created with an inherent dignity and value that cannot be taken away, no matter how much others try to diminish or to deny it. You know, it's like these masks we all have to wear, our favorite things. These masks hide our faces. They can obscure who we are to the point where it can be hard to recognize one another, hard to see each other for who we really are. There are so many things in life that seek to hide our humanity from one another, like masks, things that make it hard for us to see each other for who we really are that make it difficult for us to see the image of God in one another. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to look past the masks, whatever they may be, to look past the things that keep us from seeing each other's humanity, to look past the things that try to obscure or hide who we all really are, to look past them and to see the image of God in one another. And when we do, When we live this way, like Jesus intends, we show this world that that another world is possible, that another reality, a reality we call God's kingdom, does in fact exist. Each act of love for the lowly, each act of care for those whose humanity is too often denied, each act of welcome for those who are considered to be the least among us, is an act that defies the crooked ways of this world and furthers God's kingdom. And that kingdom is based on Jesus, the one who looks past all of our masks, past all the things we do to deny or ignore the image of God in ourselves, past all the things that seek to obscure or hide who we really are, past all of the things that we use and that others use in order to diminish our dignity and value and worth, Jesus looks past all of that. To see a beloved child of God, to see a human made in God's image with enough inherent dignity and value and worth to love, to live for, and even to die for. Do you know what the true miracle is that this passage reveals? 
it reveals that when God looks at you, God sees Jesus. So may God open our eyes and change our hearts to see each other the same way. Amen.